You know, that, that song reminds me uh, of the gospel. The fact that God created us to know him, to worship him, and to come to him, and sin separates us from God. And uh, there's brokenness. There's brokenness in our lives between us and God, and then that flows out into our relationships with others. And God did something to bring us back into a right relationship with him. He sent his only son, Jesus, to make a way that we might come back, be forgiven, and to worship him, to see him, and to behold him, and to know him, and for him to know us. Jesus came and died so that it would be well with our soul, with our eternal spirit. You know, I usually finish with the gospel, and today I just wanted to start there and say, we're here to worship the God through Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, who is our Savior and Lord. That is our common bond here in this place. And if you have never had your sins forgiven, if you have never come to know Christ, repented of sins, and turned to him by faith as your Savior and Lord, I would encourage you to do that today. So you could really sing that song and feel it and know it, that it is indeed well with your soul, that no matter what else happens in this life, no matter how much longer you live, you know that when you die, you are eternally secure and will be with God forever. That's the gospel. And I want it to be well with your soul today, starting there. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133 with me today? As we think about worshiping God and knowing Him, and as we think about corporate worship and doing that together, today we're going to be thinking about the beauty of a unified brotherhood. The beauty of a unified brotherhood. And I just want to begin by reading Psalm 133. There's only three verses. Let's start there. I don't have any real fancy outlines. We just want to look at what that says and what it teaches us today. Now, I mean, I'm glad you're here today. And, and uh, I'm glad to be back. I've been on vacation all week. And uh, I'm going to try my best. You know, I used to go to my grandparents' place after they'd been traveling, and they would make me sit for hours and look at their slides. And uh, I'm going to try not to do that to, to you today with my vacation stories, but I do have a few I want to share. And, uh, but, uh, but the main thing is, let's read Psalm 133 and, and think about these things. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. This psalm begins to behold something good and pleasant. Man, isn't that a great thing to see, to look upon something that is beautiful, something that is worthwhile, something that, that holds our gaze and fascinates the mind. Behold something good 
and pleasant. This psalm belongs to a group of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. Uh, it starts in Psalm 120 all the way through 134. These Songs of Ascent were holiday songs. As the Jewish people were coming together, they would come down to Zion or to Jerusalem. They would make that pilgrimage and they would sing these songs. They would come to worship and to celebrate. It's a holiday song, if you will. All 15 of these. You know, when you take a trip, what do y'all do, do on a long trip? We play, we play games. Well, everyone that's not driving stares at their phone. That's primarily what we do. But, but sometimes we play games. We play the capital game. Let's see who can guess the most capitals, right? That, that's a pretty fun game once or twice and then and then it's over now our group is not my family is not very musical we don't we don't do much singing now when I was a kid I was a rapper all right now so my favorite song on on long boring trips I would rap the the song to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air <laughs> and my brothers would do the you know, all of that stuff. And so that was about the only songs I remember singing. I'm sorry, and don't ask me to do it after church. I'm not going to do it for you. But, uh, you know, I, we would sing growing up. But, but on our fa family trips, we don't sing much. We play games. But, but you think about that long trek down to Jerusalem. They had these songs that they had memorized. And, and it would pass the time. It would teach them. It would prepare them for worship. And this psalm cries out to the listener, to the singer, to the traveler, hey, behold, something good and pleasant. Use your imagination and think about this thing that is so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it is worthy of your attention. And I'll tell you, it's something fitting for us today to behold because it is good and pleasant for 21st century America. And here it is. Behold this something good and pleasant. What is that good and pleasant thing that is worth us shifting our gaze to look upon it. It's worth us singing about. Here it is. It's brothers dwelling together in unity. Brothers dwelling together in unity. So during this pilgrim, pilgrimage down to Zion for worship, for sacrifice, for celebration, for holiday, for party, all of these different Israelites or Jews from all 12 tribes would come down to Zion. People with different accents, people with a different look, maybe they dressed a little differently, people they didn't know, a bunch of strangers, they would come down and flood this town. And I'll tell you, it would be fun, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be exciting, be very celebratory. I'm sure there were banners and flags. I'm sure there were all kinds of sights and smells that were fascinating. But I'll tell you this, there would also be irritations and inconveniences. Hello? Have you ever traveled? Irritations and inconveniences. We were traveling back home and I was pulling a trailer. So here you go. Here's slide number one from vacation. We're, we're, we're coming to this stoplight and, and you know, when you're traveling out west, you don't dare get down below about half or a quarter tank of fuel, right? So, so if you know you're about to hit the desert, you're going to hit those long straight stretches, you fuel up and I said, well, let's, uh, let's fuel up right here. And it was on the left and we come to a stoplight and uh, three stoplight changes before I get to move. Now, just the last sermon I preached was about road rage and about <laughs> sky rage. And apparently I didn't learn my lesson. 
Because, you know, through about that third stoplight change, I'm, I'm, I'm fidgeting, you know, and I'm going, all right, all right. So I'm looking, they do have diesel. Can I get to the diesel pump? Oh, somebody's parked in the diesel pump. You know, I'm, I'm looking and, 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 and so it's all about me, right? I don't, I don't want to sit here this long and, I, and I, I'm, I'm really getting, I don't know why I'm getting worked up. I'm getting worked up. And, and I pulled up to the station and I learned a new kind of rage. There's gas pump rage. <laughs> You know, gas pump rage is where your card doesn't work out there. You know, your, your, your little card, so I try a card, no worky. Uh, and, you know, and this thing's malfunctioning. It's first it's saying stick it in there and leave it, and then it's saying pull it out quicker. And I'm like, well, make up your mind. So I try another card so I have to go in. So I go in, and not only that, I got to go to the bathroom. So I go in and I say, hey, your card's not, your deal's not working out there, and I need diesel. So she goes, okay, put it in. And my, my debit card doesn't work. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, time's ticking, and, and I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to get back home. And so then I stick in my, my credit card, not working. And by this point, you know, I'm just sitting here, and I'm dancing around. Well, let me, let me try this. And a and, uh, little-known thing, you know, about certain things, uh, these little chip readers, you're supposed to leave it in just long enough. And if it's not working, you leave it in a little longer and let it ding at you twice. I'm going, I don't care. I just want fuel. And so we get that all done, and I stick my things back in. I go to the bathroom. It's locked. So I go outside. Isaac, I paid $75 for diesel. Pump the diesel, and, and I'm going to go back in, go to the bathroom. So anyway, take care of business and get down the road. And, uh, man, I was irate. <laughs> so gas pump rage, it's a thing. Watch out for it. So we get down the road to the next station, and uh, uh, I go to pull out my wallet. Pick up the console, no wallet. And uh, anyway, irritations and inconveniences. I'll come back to that story a little bit <laughs> later. But as you travel, there would be irritations and inconveniences. But, but you know what? I'm not the only person on the road. I'm not the only person who needs fuel. But sometimes I act like I'm the only one. So it's good to just live in unity with the brethren all 12 of these tribes of Israel would come down into Zion for their celebration and they're singing these songs. You know, they were 12 distinct tribes, but they were all a brotherhood. They were all sons of Israel. They shared a common blood, a common bond, a common religion. And this song reminded them of that, how good it is, how good and pleasant when brothers, your brothers, your brothers, you come together and, and you're able to dwell together in unity. Today, July 4th, 2021, it is 21, right? Yeah, it marks the 250th birthday of our country. And our country today, I will continue to say, I believe is as divided as ever. I don't have a great long perspective, but in my little perspective, it seems that we are very divided. Ideological wars being fought, seems like on every front. And we're focusing, it seems like our entire country is making a living on irritating one another and poking at every little thing, going back and trying to revise history and, and dredge up things of the past. And I'll tell you, there are so many things going on in our country today. I'm just going to be honest for me. Sometimes I don't feel a great kinship and brotherhood with many of my fellow Americans. 
I look at some of the things being promoted and the changes that many of the progressives and different folks are trying to make, and, and I just go, I, I don't sense much kinship with many people in our country today. Right or wrong, that's just how I feel. I feel like our country is evolving and changing, and there are people that would jettison the things that have held us together in the past, such that it is probably no longer possible for us to say that we are one nation under God, because many people have chosen to neglect God, to cast God aside and say, I'm not under God. And it becomes difficult to think of ourselves as a brotherhood when we do not have a common father. But anyway, Psalm 133 was a song for a nation to sing to promote, I think, unity. And maybe as a first level of applying this passage would just be to say that maybe it would be good for this psalm to encourage us as Americans to continue working towards greater civility and greater patience with one another instead of continually nitpicking at every little thing. Easy to fight. Hard to find unity. So I think that's a great encouragement. But you know what? Israel was not just any nation. It was the distinct people of God, a distinct brotherhood. People called out by God, who worshipped God by faith. I think the most appropriate application for this passage is actually for the church. Yes, we can apply it to our country and as Americans, but it's talking about when brothers, the brethren, dwell together in unity is a beautiful thing. Every time I read Psalm 133 or hear it, I'm transported back to an evening church service. Early in my pastoral ministry, it was a business meeting and, and I was not the moderator. I was sitting right here. And I watched a young, a new believer, a fairly young man, younger than I was at the time, he had been serving the Lord in that church and, and uh, he did not grow up in church. He didn't know much about church politics and the way things were supposed to work and all of this. I watched this young man come up and to give a report about a committee that he was on. And a gentleman, an older gentleman, raised his hand and blasted this guy. Just, just right in front of everybody, called him out on something that really was of no consequence and it was a matter that should have been handled one-on-one uh, -on -one or in the back, but he berated and embarrassed this young man. And I'll never forget looking in that man's eyes, that young man's eyes. They got about as big as a deer's eyes in the headlights. And he didn't know what to say. And I watched his head go down as this man blasted him. Not only do I remember his eyes, but I remember my eyes filled with tears as I thought about how he must be feeling and how out of place and inappropriate that little event was. And I opened my Bible and I turned open to Psalm 133 by the providence of God and it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. 
and the tears flowed. And I'll be honest, it's been a lot of years. And I can't remember if when I got the floor, I stood up and read that. Or if I just allowed that to wash over me. But I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget what that did to that young man. And how that was something that should not have been. Because we are, as a church, as Christians, we're brothers and sisters. The unity of Christian brothers and sisters is essential. It is beautiful. It is good. It is pleasant. And it's necessary. It doesn't come easy and it doesn't come naturally. But it's something we must uphold and fight for and fight against disunity. We have to do that because it's good and pleasant when we're able to dwell together and unity. But it doesn't just talk about unity. Listen to what it says. It says how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. Vacation slide number two. We did something insane on this vacation. We agreed to share a house cabin with another family. Some of Whitney's family. They have two young children. And we shared that house. Is that not insane? For a week! Like people that you've never, I mean, I've been around them for maybe a couple of hours at a time. I like them. They're fine people. But we chose to, to dwell together. And they called it a cabin. And I'm thinking like log, spacious, you know, big as this. I'm thinking cabin. Think cottage. <laughs> Think shack. Maybe a thousand square feet, but it had a loft. One bathroom, seven people. And we dwelled together. And I'm going to tell you, it was actually a phenomenal experience. A great time. Were there times when you wanted to take your shower, but the door was locked? Yes. There were all kinds of little inconveniences, but it was a wonderful experience. Being around their little kids. One day, vacation slide number three. One day, I'm sitting there and in my uh, fuzzy flannel pajama pants. Yeah, I did that. And, and I, I'm sitting there and I've got my legs up on the, on the uh, coffee table and we're ch chatting. And their little boy, he, uh, he turned five actually on the trip. He comes by and he rubs my leg. He says, oh, Sean, those pants are beautiful. <laughs> I said, they are, aren't they? I mean, we just, it was, a, we had a huge time. It was so much fun. And I think about how many little things like that I would have missed out on if we had chosen to dwell in isolation rather than to dwell together with these people. Along this little path, going to Colorado, there were several memories of our family dwelling together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that came flooding over my memory. We were in New Mexico, and I went back in memory to a group from our old church of, a, I don't know, probably 30 people or so that went to, on a mission trip slash family camp to the mountains of New Mexico one summer. I'll never forget that trip as long as I live. There were so many things that were irreplaceable. Relationships forged. Things and people strengthened that would have never happened had we stayed at home. And in fact, there was another trip that had occurred, I don't know how many years before, uh, but it came back as a Facebook memory for Whitney and for uh, a lady um, as we had been on a mission trip to uh, Omaha, Nebraska. 
And uh, she Facebook messaged Whitney and said, you know, we were, our family was just sitting around talking about what a phenomenal, amazing time that trip was. When about 30 or 40 of us from four or five different states and different churches and even different denominations came together and we went and ministered in Omaha, Nebraska. Whitney was talking about, she said, I made thousands of snow cones for little block parties on that trip and all of these kind of things. And, and, and I need to say these little stories and try to paint a picture of being brothers and sisters in Christ as a family. Shared experiences, dwelling together. This passage is not about disunity. It's about the beauty of Christian fellowship and unity. Man, it's just, it's, it's just, it's something you can't replace. It's something you cannot get anywhere else. This passage is a great corrective to an overly individualized faith and an isolated faith where it's all about me and I just am in my little silo and I do my little thing and I neglect the fellowship of other Christians. Behold how good and how pleasant, how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters in Christ dwell together in unity. And then in verses 2 and 3, there is the picture of the blessings that God flows down from heaven through his people when we do this, when we dwell together in unity. The importance of unity is depicted using two memorable scenes or illustrations in verses 2 and 3 of this psalm. The first one is, it's kind of a weird illustration really. It's, he says, it's like, that is when we dwell together in unity, it is like the precious or anointing or consecrating oil that is poured out on Aaron's head. Aaron is the great high priest from the Old Testament, right? And, and, and it flows down to his beard and it drenches his robes. Aaron, the high priest that was chosen by God, you can look back in the Old Testament, he, he was set apart by God to be the mediator, if you would, between the people of God and God himself. And they said, you are to take the holy, the precious oil and you are to consecrate him. You are to set him aside as the high priest so that you can come before God and have your sins forgiven and you can know God's blessing in his presence. And it says, you know, the, the picture is you take in that precious oil and it's dumped on his head and it flows down his hair and it saturates his beard. By the way, beards are biblical. And it saturates his beard and it goes down onto his collar and his robe. And I think it doesn't say this, but I think the picture is that if you know the high priest adornment and his outfit that right below his collar there was a breastplate and all of the different 12 tribes names were on that breastplate and that oil that symbolizes the presence of God like the Holy Spirit is coming down it, it flows from the high priest and down his beard and then it covers and flows down to each of the tribes of Israel and the reason this scene or this illustration is appropriate is because these people are traveling to Zion, to Jerusalem for worship and they're going to see some things. They're going to see a high priest come out and stand between them and God and know that the blessings of God come through that high, high priest. Now we as New Testament Christians, we don't have Aaron as our high priest. I'm not your high priest. I'm just your pastor. 
Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the one that stands between us and God and we come to him to have our sins forgiven and know the very presence of God and he pours out his Holy Spirit upon us and gives his spirit to us. And so we together, listen to this, what binds us together in this room is Jesus as our high priest. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. That is our commonality. And we make a mistake as Christians when we try to base our commonality and our fellowship and our unity on anything else except for Jesus. On our preferences, on our opinions, on anything else but Jesus. Jesus. That's picture number one or scene number one. The second scene is in verse three. It, what is it? It is brethren dwelling together in unity. It is like, he says, the dew of Hermon. I had a seminary professor say, never say Hermon. It's not Hermon. It's the dew of Hermon or Hermon. It's a mountain. It's a, a scene of mountain dew. The dew of Hermon. Hermon is the mountain range on the northern border of Israel. Elevation about 9,200 feet. That's, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. These are snow-capped peaks and shoulders. They're no, Mount Hermon is known for its choice woods, all kinds of wildlife, and also for its snow caps. It was known as a sacred mountain. You know, we were up traveling the mountains in, in, in our little four-wheelers and buggies this week. And I tell you, you go up to, into these really high, remote mountains. It, it, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's just, uh, it's an experience that's unlike anything else. You get up above civilization, away from all of the people, and you just see the grandeur of God across those mountains. Throughout history, really, mountains have been considered sacred places. Mount Hermon was a sacred place. People felt like they could get closer to God up on that mountain. Some people believe that this is the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. We're not sure. It's possible that the disciples saw the glory of Jesus on that very mountain. But that is not what this imagery or this scene is about. It's simply about the blessings of moisture falling to these high mountain peaks that are in the north of the country. And the picture is, here are these snow-capped mountains. And you know what's amazing if you've ever ridden in the mountains? When the moisture falls, it doesn't stay on the mountain peak, does it? It finds its way to little streams. They become big streams and big rivers. And eventually, they make their way down to these Roaring rivers. And those rivers travel for miles and miles and miles. On our trip, we passed the Continental Divide. Does anybody know what that is? Continental Divide. It divides the country. And, and to the east, all of the water that flows on the east side of the Continental Divide does what? It, it flows out eventually to the Atlantic. And on the west, all of that water flows out to the Pacific. It goes west. That is what the Continental Divide is. And here is this picture of moisture and snow and rain falling on Mount Hermon in the north. And it's God's blessing. That's what it's a picture of. And it makes its way down. It trickles down. 
And it begins to build and build and build until it finds a river and a stream and it flows all the way through the country. The moisture from Mount Hermon is what provides most of the water reservoirs for that dry, arid country, even the Jordan River. And so, listen to what he's saying. Brothers dwelling together in unity, it's like these snow-capped mountains. And like the dew and the little moisture that finds its way to that mountain peak, close to the heavens, and it trickles down into every little place, to every little city, and to every tribe. In other words, there's a connectedness of God's blessing. It flows from one place and one person to another, to another, and to another. God's blessings are not meant to be for us only. When he blesses us, he wants to flow rivers of life and streams of blessing to others. And that is not possible where we are not committed to dwelling in unity. Disunity breaks that connection. It breaks it. It messes up the ecosystem that God wants to flow his blessings through. And so simply this is a picture of a geographical area that is connected. It's connected hydrologically. They share the same water and the water source. And it flows to each of them. It's connected. And it flows to each of the people. When you mess up the ecosystem and the environment and you dam up the water, the blessing of water and life ceases to flow down to others. Disunity does that. The church, folks, the Christian church, and I'm talking about both the local body and I'm talking about the entire universal church, that is, all the people who belong to Christ. This encourages us to dwell together in unity. We want to break and split over every little thing in churches and in our denominations. You know, Southern Baptists, I don't know if you know this, if you keep up with the convention politics, but there's a fight every year, every convention over something. And most of the time, it's over nothing. It's just something that has blown up and become a deal, and all of our focus gets put on that thing, and we want to fight about it. <laughs> Easy to fight, hard to live in unity. But it's a beautiful thing. You know what we ought to fight for? We ought to fight for unity and for peace. That's what we ought to fight for. Stop fighting against our brothers and sisters in Christ. I tell you, it's an awful boring life living in a bubble by yourself in isolation. There are so many blessings that you will not experience when you separate yourself from the body of Christ. The body of Christ is an amazing, a beautiful ecosystem. It's fragile. It's fragile. But it is the source of our blessing. What does this look like? What does dwelling together in unity as Christian brothers and sisters look like? Let's get practical. Oh, let's do something fun. Let me, let me ask you all to answer that. What would it be to dwell with your Christian brothers and sisters in unity? What do you have to do? Give me, give me some stuff. Huh? Organize? Okay, yeah. 
vacation takes organization. You got to plan it. Go ahead. You got you to love one another. Compromise. You, you got to give. You got to, that's what the, so, oh, my story. My story. Here you go. You know, the, the thing about red lights, they're there to make you stop so others can go. You're not the only driver on the road. I'm not the only driver on the road. So there's a purpose for that, even if I have to stop three times, but that's really irritating. You know, but I yield for them, but, but when their turn comes, they yield for me. I mean, it's a beautiful system if you go with it, right? So, so we got to compromise. we got to yield. So apparently in all my frustration at the gas station, I put my wallet somewhere, and it was gone. It was gone. And I thought about, you know, had I just remained calm, gone with the system, and humble and yielded, given my time, most likely that wallet would have been with me to this day. Hey, good news is, we, very weird news. In Amarillo, we stopped at a, at a restaurant, and man, my stomach was in knots. I was all messed up. And I was like, well, let's, let's pray before we eat. And that's so I'm praying. I said, Lord, help me find my wallet. Bring, bring it back to me. But I knew it wasn't, you know, wasn't going to happen. The next morning, Whitney had a Facebook message from someone saying, we found this billfold on Frontage Road in Amarillo, Texas. That's where we stopped to eat. <laughs> it was lost in Durango, Colorado. You know, I'm like, did an angel maybe pick that up? I don't know. But I got my wallet back. But my irritation and my aggravation and my lack of wanting to yield caused me all kinds of problems. It could have ended up much worse. Made my family's life much worse along that trip. Anyway, what does life together look like? What does dwelling together as Christian brothers and sisters, how do we do that? So we compromise, we love one another. You spend time together. Dwelling together means you are sharing life in some way. Here's, a, here's something you could do. Go out to eat lunch or supper with another family in the church. Invite them to your house. Invite them to a restaurant. Invite them for coffee. Show up. Take part. When you do show up, speak up. Shake a hand. Hug a neck. Celebrate Jesus. Serve together. When there's things on the bulletin board, sign up. Do it. You can do it. You can do it. Vacation Bible School is coming up. There are blessings that will happen there that you will not get anywhere else. Unique opportunities. Serve the Lord together. And I'll tell you the, a big thing is, and that's what these people with the Song of Ascents were doing, they were worshiping the Lord together. They were worshiping the Lord together and being reminded that their unity came from God. For them it came through air and for us it's through Jesus Christ. The world does not need more finger pointing, chest poking. I'll tell you, we just don't need it. Are there, are there fights worth fighting? Absolutely. Absolutely. But for what? Because we're bloodthirsty? Because we want to be right? Or 
because we have a purpose. And when peacetime comes, we're happy to live in peace. Yes. We fight our fights. You know, July 4th, we're thinking about people that wanted to live in freedom. And so they fought. But the ideal was not so that they could continually harass and harangue and hate one another. It was for the purpose of, of peace and being able to live as free people, to live a life of good conscience and loving their neighbors. Unity, how beautiful it is. And only when we choose that way, the way of love, are we following the way of Jesus. And I'll tell you, where we choose to fight and to pick and to poke and to harass and to say hateful things and to criticize and to do all of those things, the blessings of God will cease to flow right there. When we do that stuff, you know, you know what you do when you pollute your well? You don't just pollute it for your neighbor. You're polluting it for yourself and for everyone else downstream. But how beautiful, how life-giving, how refreshing it is when the people of Christ say, man, I'm going to yield. I'm going to keep a calm spirit. I'm not going to get agitated about every little stoplight, every little bump in the road. I'm just going to, going to live in unity and harmony. And the Lord's blessings will come through that. Pray with me. Lord, today I pray just confessing in my own heart and life that I am so easily agitated and irritated and I get angry. And I pray that you would help me with that. I pray that you would help me by your spirit as I yield to the spirit and set aside the flesh. Pray that you would help me to walk in this beautiful unity with Christian brothers and sisters. And I pray for this church, for our church, first of all, this congregation, that we would be captivated by how wonderful it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ of all ages and all interests and all backgrounds come together under the common umbrella of Jesus. And I pray that you would help us keep that as our focus. Not the differences, not the inconveniences, and not the irritations, but that you would keep our eyes on Jesus. And we need help. I need help with that. So help us, I pray. Help us as we lay aside this spirit of the age, which is constantly calling us to arms and to battle and to fight. Help us to know which fights we need to step in and which ones we need to walk away from. Give us a humility about these things so that we're open to hear you speak. And Lord, I pray today for any situation where we have already lost it. <laughs> we, there has come bad things from where we have not lived in unity. But just like the little billfold, Lord, that you might restore and teach us 
your goodness. Help us in our broken relationships. Help us. And Lord, last of all, we pray for our country. A country that is embroiled in all sorts of debates and fights and disagreements and divisions. Help your church to rise up in this moment and become a shining light, peacemakers, and yet teach us how to be courageous and to stand for what's true and holy. Lord, we pray for our leaders in our country today that America might continue to be a nation that you are able to bless and to prosper. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.